I hope everybody's now finally recovered from your turkey coma and maybe settled down from the Black Friday frenzy. And so now I'm, I'm just going to believe I'm probably not the first one who's going to say this to you, but I do want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. As we begin this season, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas because my prayer is that this will be the focus of our hearts, that our eyes and our hearts will remain fixed upon Christ as we walk through this season, this Advent, the preparing of our hearts for the coming of our Lord, so that each time we gather together, that the praise is just full and sweet, just as it was this morning. I'm so thankful. Well, this morning, I'm going to begin us with uh, just, I want to put a picture in your head. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about something, and then we're going to build upon that as we walk through. And so what I want to ask you to do is think about a gift, a gift that you have received some point in your life that you would describe as wonderful, a gift that was wonderful. Maybe it was something that you never expected to receive. Maybe it was something that you wanted or needed, but in the end, you'd never told anyone, and yet it was gifted to you. Or maybe it was just simply a gift that exceeded every expectation that you possibly had. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm struggling a little bit, find one of those that I would call wonderful. Well, what do you think would be a wonderful gift this year? You see, one of those gifts that I remember, it goes back to, so the year was 2002. The Navy had deployed me, so I was overseas. That meant Kathy and the kids were going to be spending Christmas by themselves in Hawaii. I know, rough, right? I mean, mean, what do you do? You decorate the palm trees. It's just kind of, I actually was kind of fun. But so I was out at sea with the entire crew. But one of the blessings was our families, the wives for the submarine, before we had ever even left on deployment, they had made preparations for Christmas. And we packed away all these boxes for every single sailor on board, especially just for each of them. And then on Christmas morning, we had the joy of, and we pulled those out of every corner of the submarine that we had tucked them away in. And I remember that one. It was just a shoebox. But inside that shoebox was pictures of the kids. It was toys that they wanted me to have so that I'd have something to do out on the submarine. There were Twizzlers. There was no Diet Coke. Because they knew I had plenty with me, so there was really no reason to use the weight or take up that space in the box. They knew that was a waste because I had plenty for myself already tucked away in the lockers. But the bottom line to it was why that gift was wonderful because it connected me back to my family, even though I was underwater somewhere in the Pacific. That was wonderful. You know, as a church, sometimes we think about I mean, the many ways that we've been blessed I mean, even when we look at how we've been blessed as a church, and we have to be very careful not to become too used to the things that are wonderful. Because think about it. Here we are, 2023. We've got two amazing ministries to help men and women. Men's Restoration Ministries envision a hope. And today we could look at that and go, well, they've just always been there, right? But think about how they came to be. I mean, Because it was actually 2005 when a family came to the church and, well, they had a tax problem. Their tax problem could be solved with a gift giving. And so 
that gift, it included a house, a hundred acres of land, a, an 18th or a 19th century barn that it had been partially restored, and some cash to go along with that. And that's what where it's where we find Bethany Farms. Okay, it took some time and some planning, and it was in 2016 when it became the home for Men's Restoration Ministries. That's why I say that's a gift that keeps on giving. It's a blessing to the men and the families whose lives have been transformed. Think about Vision of Hope. The story is very similar where an outside, from outside the church came and said, would you do this? And a gift of I mean, not just the payment for the house itself, but 10 years, half of the operating costs were gifted to the church so that we could do these things. But consider, all of that started, humanly speaking, because someone chose to give a gift, and it's wonderful. You know, a similar thing happened just a few years ago when the 90 acres near our church became available, and a family chose to give the church a gift of that land. Well, that's actually, you know, that's the barn, and then we've got men working, but here's that land as well. Because think about the impact of that gift. Our school is busting at the seams today. That gift gives us the ability to be able to be a blessing to people we don't even yet know. Because think about the impact of telling a parent who's seeking to bring their child for quality Christian education, but without it, we might have had to say, no, I'm sorry, we're full. We can't, we can't teach any more children. But gifts like these are wonderfully impacting people we don't even know. Gifts of land that will be a blessing not just to us, but to our children and to our grandchildren and beyond there. And all of these gifts received and promised wonderful provisions of the Lord. Now, the reason I'm bringing these pictures to mind is because 2,700 years ago, God made a very special, specific set of promises, prophecies about a gift that he was going to deliver to the human race. And he described that way in such a way that it would build the anticipation of his people. Because even the prophecies then were 700 years before the gift would be given. And so with that in mind, I'd like you to open your Bibles with me. Today we're going to spend time in Isaiah And specifically, we're going to look at four phrases right in one verse in Isaiah 9-6 that highlight the various aspects of the promised Messiah. Think about that moment, or that phrase. Just pause right there. The promised Messiah. The coming Messiah prophesied by 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament some of them thousands of years before Christ would come. It's statistically impossible. So what do you do with a gift that perfectly fulfills the promises that were written down hundreds and thousands of years before they occurred? Because I know, well, I've made promises to my girls. I've made promises to my girls that I can forget in a matter of hours let alone hundreds of years. So we ask ourselves, what do we do with the messianic promises? Why would we believe them? Why would we believe them? 
A few weeks ago, we studied a very important verse in the New Testament where Peter explained that the Holy Spirit moved the writers of Scripture to record the words of God in the words that were inspired of God. Take a look at what Peter said in that same passage. For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In these verses, Peter's referring to the transfiguration, where Jesus gave his, some of his disciples a glimpse into his glory, what he would look like in his heavenly glory when he would return. And we're not going to hold there, but you could read more about that in Matthew 17. But there's a one phrase in here that I want us to be able to focus on, particularly the word order in the original text of Second Peter is very important even to how we think about today's passage. So we have more sure the prophetic word. Now, Peter's point in speaking was that the experience of the transfiguration was fantastic. But it also proves why we have confidence in God's revealed word. Because the prophecies, including what we're going to read today in Isaiah 9, are not cleverly devised tales. They are worthy of our trust. And what we're suggesting in this Christmas season is that when we look at the prophecies then we look at the objective facts of Jesus' life, his birth, life, his death, burial, and resurrection. It takes our breath away, the wonderful gift of the gospel. And when I think about the gospel and how we are living in it, I'd echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he spoke about the churches in Colossae and Philippi when he gave thanks for them because I give thanks for our church and our participation in the gospel as well. I hope many of you were able to be at the stewardship celebration because it was a night where we got to see God at work and see his people committed to him committed to the plans of our church, the plans that we came together with in our Free to Dream strategic plan. And many of you have been keeping those commitments to Christ, commitments through to our church through the past year, and even making fresh commitments for the coming year, commitments that stretch us, that take us to our limits. But it's good for us to agree with Peter because we're not committing ourselves to cleverly devised fables. And that's one of the reasons why we know, because the miracle and the beauty of fulfilled prophecy, we know that we're not following cleverly devised tales. And that's why today we're going to talk about the gift that is wonderful. And so if you will, join me as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, starting right from verse 1. 
But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden, the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood, will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This morning we're thinking about a gift that is wonderful. And from these verses, we want to think especially about three reasons why Jesus Christ is a treasured gift. Now, our messages today and throughout this month are an exegetical study of the second half of Isaiah 9-6, the names that were predicted to describe the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so for our purposes today, you saw that one of the key words in this verse is the word Wonderful. Now, that's a word we might use in a variety of contexts. But today, I'd I'd like us to think for a moment in the way that it's used in the Bible. And then as we think about how it's used there, we're going to bring it back to help us better understand our key verse. And so before we unpack the meaning of wonderful counselor, let's start by identifying the meaning of the word wonderful in the Bible. Because there are three characteristics to what is wonderful. First, something wonderful is something unusual. Listen to Isaiah 25. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Now that would be a great verse for you to memorize. If you're looking for something to remember and commit to memory, Especially here we are just right after Thanksgiving. I'll give thanks to your name because you have worked wonders. What does that mean? Think of it this way. Lord, the way you work is so unusual. It captures our attention. It delights our hearts. When you work wonders, it's not predictable, mundane, or forgettable in any way. Your work causes us to be surprised. Your work causes us to be captured and enthralled. That's the work of the Lord. When I have the opportunity to share with somebody why I became a pastor, it's a privilege to tell them 
about how God is at work, how he's taken me from being selfish and self-centered and continually growing and changing me. He gives me a new desire in my heart so that I don't miss the things of the past. It doesn't mean I don't like them. It doesn't mean that I now hate the things of what I used to do. But He's given me something far greater to desire as He's replaced those desires with Himself. And to me, that's unusual. That's unexpected. But it's only by God's marvelous grace that He could change my heart. I hope all of us could say the same thing to the Lord about Him. Oh Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You. I will give thanks to Your name. For you have worked wonders. Another way of saying that God is wonderful is that His ways are extraordinary. Take a look at how the psalmist describes this in Psalm 77. He says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength amongst the peoples. You have, by your power, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. But when we overuse a word like wonderful or amazing or awesome, it can lose its meaning, right? But in Scripture, you get the sense that one of God's children is sitting eyes wide open, Mouth agape, just saying, look at what God is like. Look at what He has done. Look at what He's doing now. This is unusual. This is extraordinary. It's not what I would have expected. This is not what I would have anticipated or predicted. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And He's unique. Look at this. Who is like you amongst the gods, O Lord. Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Now, I'm not saying that every one of these is a completely unique and distinct concept because we can see them flowing through all of the passages we're talking about. But the point is, I don't want us to think small when we think of wonderful We need to sharpen our thinking about the word wonderful in order to really benefit from the prophecies that God has given us. Because when the Bible talks about something or someone being wonderful, it's directing our thoughts to things being unusual, extraordinary, and unique. And it should cause our hearts to explode with wonder. So now let's take that meaning of the word wonderful and let's begin to apply it into our passage as we find three reasons Jesus is a treasured gift. Because Christ is wonderful because of His completeness. Just from verse 6 alone, think about the things that we learn that were promised. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. That's promising an awful lot. When I think about commercials for toys here at Christmas, you might see those toy commercials and go, wow, that looks amazing. But then we get it home. 
we unripe it. Right, Jackson? And then we find and you open the box and you go, that's not quite what I expected. And we're disappointed. But we shouldn't see that at all. Not so with this gift. We're talking about the complete package. This is a gift that has it all. And that's what part, that is what is part of what makes him so wonderful. So let's break that down because we look at it and he says, a child will be born. Jesus is the Son of Man. This emphasizes his humanity. It goes along with the Christmas prophecy just two chapters earlier in Isaiah where it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Somehow, God had to become a man. But it had to occur outside of the normal processes of procreation so that there's no question about the transmission of our sin nature to the Savior. And so how in the world could this happen? The answer, virgin conception. There's something unusual. There's something extraordinary. It's definitely unique. The real point is what it means, if that can occur, then we can have God with us, Emmanuel. The apostles never got over that. Look at how they describe in their word, how John opens. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or Paul in the Colossians, as he said, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, a child was born, but also a son who will be given. Jesus is also the Son of God. Now, it's interesting when you look here, notice the word born was not repeated. The emphasis is on his pre-existence, the Son of God. And so as we celebrate, yes, we celebrate the birth of Christ and we celebrate knowing that he is eternal. The theological balance in this statement is incredible. And then on top of that, We also know that he's a king who will rule well. It says the government will be on his shoulders. Now we believe this will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns to the earth after the seven-year tribulation and establishes his millennial kingdom, his 1,000-year rule and reign on this earth, ruling and leading from the throne of David. And that's what the book of Revelation shares with us as well as all the prophecies of the Old Testament that are still yet to be fulfilled. But for every person who has chosen to trust Christ as Lord and Savior, those kingdom conditions, well, they're to be lived out today, even within our hearts, in our lives. Those conditions are to be lived out right here within His church. And so when we put all of that together, You have a prophecy about a Messiah who will possess the attributes of humanity, 
the attributes of deity and the attributes of lordship. He's offering a gift that is the complete package. And I realize you might be sitting here today going, Rod, you're getting kind of heavy doctrinally. We're trying to get into the Christmas season here. But this is a time of year when the activity, the busyness, and even the sentimentality of the season comes, and it's fine in its place. Because we know that even though the busyness and the activity will continue, it'll probably continue all the way through the new year. But the wonder of these theological aspects, well, they can last far longer. And that's where we want our primary focus to lie. And so can I ask us to pause for a moment and reflect on how wonderful it is that God gave us a Savior who's complete. We need someone who is personal. A child was born unto us. We also need someone who can pay our sin, pay the debt for our sin. A son was given. We need someone who can lead our lives. So a ruler was provided. It's like the hymn hymn writer said, Christ is all that I need. We marvel at his sufficiency. And so it's in that context that Isaiah gives the first name for the Messiah. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's wonderful. He's wonderful because he is complete. He's also wonderful because of his counsel. A quick side note, if you'll allow me, there may be some in here who were raised in a church that used the King James Version. In that translation, there's actually a comma between the words wonderful and counselor. And that would actually change the way that we would interpret and look at these verses. But I don't think that's the best way to interpret and bring it from the original language. And so I prefer what we see here in the NASB because it includes a series of four two-word names. Just like it's Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, it's Wonderful Counselor together. Now you ask, why does that matter? Well, God is telling us that He's not just any counselor. He's not wonderful and He's a counselor. He is the Wonderful Counselor. 700 years before the birth of Christ, God wanted us to know that one of his greatest attributes of the gift that he was going to give us would be his words, his counsel, and it would be wonderful. Now, considering what we said earlier about the word wonderful, let's go ahead and apply that to this. How is his counsel wonderful? Well, it's wonderful in that his words are often unexpected. How many times have you found yourself reading and studying the life of Christ, the very words of Jesus, and thought to yourself, well, I wouldn't have expected Jesus to say that. If it were me, I would have said just the opposite. It might be something as simple as Jesus' words to the Pharisee Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I would have been shocked by that. I would have expected exactly the opposite. 
In fact, if it were God had said, Rod, you get to decide how people get into heaven, I might have come up with some level of high standards, and then I'd have developed a set of tests over here that would help us figure out who meets all those standards, because guess what? Those are the godly people, right? That's who God should let into heaven. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that just simply begs the question, do you want a God who's telling you the things that you would have already expected? Or do you want a God who's surprising you at every turn? Because our natural tendency when we hear something that we don't expect is we want to reject it, right? We wrongly assume if it's different than what I expected, if it's different than what I would have said, it must be wrong. Being given a wonderful counselor means that we're going to read things in his word that are often going to surprise and challenge our thinking. And that's a blessing in and of itself. But there's even more blessing to it because you get the opportunity to be able to share this same message that's wonderful with others. After we've found it to be surprising and unexpected, we get to share that unexpected, that wonderful message with others. I know that there are many of you who have chosen to serve in the living nativity in the next couple of weeks. Why would we do that? Because we love dressing up and going out in the cold? Or simply because we want to proclaim the news that is wonderful? Are there, I mean, there will be men and women coming through in the cars and walking through the living nativity that believe that they have to work their way to heaven, that they have to clean themselves up and get their lives straight before they can approach Jesus. Others will think God isn't really interested in them, or there's really no place for them in church because they see their own lives as being too far from God. What they've done is too much to be forgiven. But what's unexpected from Jesus is that none of those thoughts are true. No, he says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We ought to delight in being ambassadors of the counsel that is wonderful, because it will not only surprise and delight our own hearts, but it will do the same for those who will hear it. To me, that sounds like a prayer, and I want to encourage you to be praying for our Christmas ministries for those who will hear this wonderful message, praying for the cantata, praying for Christmas for everyone, praying for the living nativity. We want to pray that men and women would receive the wonderful counsel of Jesus Christ and choose to follow him. Next, we can see that his counsel is wonderful in that his words are worthy of remembering. Many times when you see the word wonderful in the Bible, there's an emphasis of consciously choosing to remember what it is describing. Earlier we saw this in Psalm 77 where it said, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. The principle is the more you consider something to be wonderful, the more likely you are to want to commit it to memory. There are a lot of things that we tend to commit to memory for one reason or another, whether they're quotes from a TV show or a movie. Many times, things like that, we do it just because we see them as funny. 
or iconic, but I'm not sure that we could call it good counsel. I hope you would want to say that you work harder at memorizing the very words of Christ and the words of Scripture more than anything else because you consider its message to be wonderful. And you agree with statements like that it is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that you are asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation to the knowledge of Him. Why? So that we would preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But then as we agree with these statements, we also have to acknowledge that there can be a caution in here as well. A caution that comes when we do not receive the wonderful counsel. Take a look ahead. If you still got your Bible open, look ahead to Isaiah 29. And I want to point specifically to 29 verses 13 and 14, where he says, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service but they remove their hearts from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal deal marvelously with this people, wonderfully marvelously. And the wisdom of their wise will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Do you see our word wonderful there too? wonderfully marvelous, as God describes how he will deal with those who ignore his wonderful counsel and look to find their way on their own. Because normally we would look at something wonderful in a good way, but in this case, that becomes a little harder because it's exactly the opposite, and yet it is still wonderful. It's wonderful in that there are consequences to disobeying his counsel. That's not easy to read, It's not easy to hear, but it's true. It's wonderful because every person has the freedom to decide. Are you going to see His words as wonderful and choose to obey the words of Christ? Because while you can choose to disobey, you can't choose the consequences of your actions. And so when you choose to do what God says to do, there are great blessings, more than we could ever believe. And I know that there are many testimonies in this room of that blessing. Well, at the same time, if we choose to disobey, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever a man sows, there's probably testimonies in this room of that as well. Our third reason that Jesus is a treasured gift is because he, of his wonderful ability to change people. This prophecy was given to help God's people live in anticipation of what a great gift the Heavenly Father would be giving. But we live on the other side of the prophecy. Thank the Lord. We live on the other side of the prophecy being fulfilled. So we have the truths that tell us of the fullness of what his names mean. And because of that, we can point to the wonderful counselor, knowing that he alone has the ability to draw people to himself. And take a look at how he does it. He doesn't force us. 
He doesn't manipulate us, but by the very nature of his heart, he gently invites, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you here today looking at the Christmas season, seeing it as craziness and chaos? Are you already weary because of a broken relationship? Are you already tired from the heavy load of trying to make everything right? And we're only a couple of days past Thanksgiving. I pray today that you would hear the wonderful counsel of the Lord as He invites you to come, especially because you're weary, even while you're still heavy laden, because He wants to be the one to give you rest. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up first. He doesn't ask us to put on a happy face. He doesn't ask us to complete some set of work and clean ourselves up before we would step into His house. No, He says, come. That's all He asks. Just come. For whoever believes in Him shall never perish, but have eternal life. The wonderful counselor is the, one, the only one able to draw people to our Savior, to draw people to Himself. Jesus is wonderful also because He's the only one able to fill our hearts with hope. Conventional wisdom would tell the weak that they need to work to strengthen themselves. Conventional wisdom would tell the lost that they need to figure it out and find their way. But then... If that's the case, who are you depending on to follow conventional wisdom? It's all about me. It's my wisdom, my strength, my power. But consider, all of those come with my weakness, my shortfalls, and my foolishness. None of which is wonderful, and none of it will be enough. But Jesus' words are wonderful because he tells us As Paul recalls Jesus saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul would go on saying, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Ask yourself, what are you looking for? When we see Jesus as wonderful, we can know that he is enough. And so then maybe you can say with me, if it takes weakness to reveal the power of Christ, if it takes weakness to see His counsel is wonderful, bring on the weakness because I want what He has. And then with my heart filled with hope, I can have hope even for the most difficult relationships in my life because Jesus is wonderful in that He alone gives us the ability to know how to relate to one another. Again, conventional conventional wisdom would tell us that we should consider every relationship knowing that the other person is going to fail us. So we should try to protect ourselves then, right? Watch out for number one. Again, not wonderful counsel. Jesus is a treasured gift because he gives us the ability to relate differently. And he gives us our command You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your your neighbor as yourself. 
For when I choose to love the Lord with all my being and be obedient to him by loving others, my neighbors, his counsel helps me to consider that I do not need to consider how others treat me. I don't need to consider how others think about me because none of that changes how my Lord loves me and how my Lord is changing me. And I can see Christ as wonderful because he is able to change me and he's able to call me to a sacrificial, sacrificial and purposeful life. <coughs> Though I might have ideas about what I might call a good life, the successful life, my wonderful counselor is calling me to something far more. He's challenging us just as he was challenging his disciples when he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. When Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that a child would be born to us, a son would be given to us, and that he would be the Lord, the Lord upon whom the government would rest, his purpose was far greater than just to be born and live. Rather, the wonderful counselor was sent to live a sacrificial and purposeful life from which he calls us to follow him because Jesus is our treasured gift, unusual, extraordinary, and unique. He's wonderfully complete. He's wonderful in his counsel, and he's wonderful in his ability to change and grow us so that we too might be alive in Christ this Christmas season, so that we can share the gift that truly is wonderful. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today, Lord, praising and exalting your name. Lord, for you are greater than any other. There is no God like you. Lord, you've proven to us so clearly, not just by sending your Son, but by telling us all about him in advance and then perfectly fulfilling those promises. Lord, you promised a gift to us, a gift that came to the people of Israel 2,000 plus years ago. Lord, a gift that was given unto us. Lord, so that we might choose to turn to you. Father, help us to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon you this Christmas season. Lord, that we might choose to love you. And because we can love you, Lord, you give us the ability to love others. Lord, that we might share the gift and that others might come to know you as the wonderful counselor. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.